0: You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at bccfarmacity.org. Well, praise God. Welcome to church this morning. We are going to start a new series this morning. Well, we started a new series last week. I think it's a timely series. I think it's an important series. We're talking about being led by the Holy Spirit and what that looks like in our lives. We're early. I'm still laying foundation pieces for this. Um, this morning is, is all that. I'm, I'm laying some foundation of right and wrong thinking this morning. Um, One thing that I I say often is that anything that we hold dear, any doctrine that we adhere to, the things that we believe, all need to be supported by Scripture. For us to be able to say, my beliefs are scriptural, what must we have? (laughs) Scripture. We need to be able to back up what we believe with Scripture. And we need to have Scripture for what we believe. It it probably surprised all of us if we really sat down and started taking inventory. Are there beliefs that we hold to that we don't have Scripture for? It happens, and it happens easier than you might think. I I bet everyone would say, no, I don't have any. But i bet if we really started digging, you'd be surprised. But... That's not my point. And my point is simply we need to have scripture. We need to make sure we're lining up with what the Bible says. Um, one of the reasons I'm, I feel very led to do this series now is just looking at what time it is. We're, we're looking at the world around us. We're looking at the signs and the markers. Jesus told us to watch certain things. And as we watch those, we recognize what time it is. And one thing that I know to be true in my own heart, it's always been true. For every Christian to live your life led by the Holy Spirit. That's always been true. And that that, has not changed. But as we move into these last few hours before Jesus returns, it's going to get more unusual. And it's one of those things where we need to not only know how to be led by the Holy Spirit, but we need to be getting pretty comfortable with it and very trusting in his leading because there are going to come situations in the days in front of us where his leading might seem to your mind to be a little unusual. And if you're not already familiar with that leading on the inside, if you don't already have some experience following him, your mind will talk you out of it. And I'm thinking, this happens more than we want to admit. My mind goes back to Jesus. I'm looking at the example he gave us in the Gospels. Don't tell me when the Holy Spirit on the inside of him instructed him and said, well, spit in some mud, make clay, and shove it in the guy's eyes. You can't tell me Jesus' mind didn't go say, what? Serious. But he had to know, no, this is the voice of my Father. This is what I'm supposed to do. As unusual as it was. Now, I'm not saying we're all going to be making spit mud. But in all the various areas of our life, there are going to be, not every day probably, but there's going to be occasions where maybe in your finances, maybe on the job, maybe in relationships, where on the inside it's going to sound Really? Is that you, Lord? And we need to be familiar. And familiar enough to trust, okay, my mind's going tilt, but I know that's Him. Because I I know that leading. So that we're ready to even step out and do some unusual things should He lead us to. And I I know in my heart, the closer we get to the change of the ages, the more common that's going to become. The world is crazy. I was listening to a preacher. (laughs) Uh, He's a little older than me. And he said, I preached my first message on end times in 1982. And he said, I made a statement that I myself didn't believe. He said, I said in 1982, the closer we get to the return of Jesus, the world around us is going to get even worse. And he said in 1982, I didn't believe my own words because I was looking around going, it's as bad as it could possibly get now. Now, He said, I stand before you now. What is it, 40 years later? And he said, I had no idea I was right. (laughs) He said, "I, I, I could not fathom the world we're living in today 40 years ago. So all that to say, here's a good reason why we're studying this. Because no matter where we are in our walk with him, we can get better. We can get even more fluent. We can walk even closer. We can be even more aware of Him in our lives. And we needs to be. We must be. So this morning though, the teacher in me is coming out and we're laying foundation pieces that we will build on in this series. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to start in John chapter 16 and in verse 13. Uh, once again, this is hours before Jesus went to the cross. It was that last message to the, the, uh, the, the disciples before they stepped into apostleship, um, because we were almost there. He he said in verse 13, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Now I'm going to pause. This is something that we should expect. Jesus, the head of the church, our Lord and Savior, is telling them and us, this is a normal operation of the Holy Spirit in your life. This should be normal for us. We have a walk with the Holy Spirit where on a regular basis He is guiding us into all truth. Now, I'll throw this out real quick. The word there is guide. He will not drag you kicking and screaming into all truth. The implication is uh, He'll shine a light on the correct path And if you'll follow, you'll land in truth. Now, if you don't follow his guide, his lead, well, you're on your own. (laughs) You've chosen another path. But if we will follow, then he will guide us into all truth. For he'll not speak on his own, his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. The implication is to you. Whatever he hears, he will speak to you, and he will tell you things to come. Showing you things to come is a normal operation of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm not saying he'll tell you everything, but there are things he will show you before they happen. This is normal if you read the Bible. He's always been this way. He is the God that declares the end before the beginning or from the beginning. Because He already knows and He will let you know. He did that in the Old Covenant. He still does that today. We both can and should be aware of the Holy Spirit in us and aware of His guidance. We should expect Him to be leading us. Now, here's the unfortunate thing. There are millions of Christians who love God. They're going to heaven. There are brothers and sisters But there are millions of Christians in the earth today who do not believe you can hear from God today. They don't believe it. They're good people. They love the Lord. But I've run into some. Maybe you have too. But I've run into some who... They'll start saying things like, all these people who say God speaks to them, that God's, they're hearing God on the inside, or they're being led by God. All these people bother me. I've had people say things like that, you know. I'm sorry, but what did I say early? For us to believe something, what must we have? Scripture. So we need to look to Scripture to decide. What's our life supposed to look like? Um, But here's what I want to do. I am not pointing fingers. I am not name calling. I am not trying to start an internet battle with anybody. None of that. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to quote a nationally known Christian speaker, preacher. If I'd said the name, I bet most of you would know I'm not going to do it, it is not my intent. But my point is, this is a big name in Christianity and they have literally millions of people who follow them. And here's a direct quote of what they said. The only trustworthy source of divine truth, guidance for your own spiritual growth, and instruction for the church is the written Word of God. Does God still speak? Yes. He speaks through the pages of Scripture. And they stop it right there. Well, I'm not disagreeing that the Scripture is important. That's our foundation. That is our safety net, is what I call it. We do not go beyond the boundaries of our Scripture. Absolutely. But nor do we stop there. You do have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. There are things in this life that you need direction on that you'll not find a verse for. What should your college major be? What should your career be? Who should you marry? You're not going to flip through Second Chronicles somewhere and find I should marry Bob. It, it, it there's times we need direction that's a little more specific and you need to be able to get on your knees before the Lord and find answers. Now once in a while He might take you to a written scripture somewhere that a little out of context but man it just fits your situation. Praise God, He'll do that. But there are times you just need to hear from Him and you need to know that you're following. So is it enough then to only read your Bible? I'm not saying don't. But is that enough? I said this, if you, if you listen to me very long at all, you have heard me say, when you read your Bible every day, because we do, right? We read our Bible every day. Are you with me? When you read your Bible, what's the first thing you should do? I know I've said this more than once. Invite the Holy Spirit into your Bible reading. Ask Him. Now, Holy Spirit... Make this come alive to me. Help me to see something I've not seen. Help me to understand what I'm reading. Let me see something in here today that's going to help me where I'm at in my walk with you. Ask Him to be your teacher and to reveal truth to you as you spend time in the written Word. Read it by faith and expect then that He answers that prayer. Why is that so important? Because if He's not a part of your Bible reading, you will get very little out of it. He is the revealer of truth so without him doing his part you could read the Bible from cover to cover and never see truth it could just be another book to you and there are college professors across this nation that it is just another book to them it is no different than Shakespeare and they've read it from cover to cover and they did not see truth you have to have the Holy Spirit revealing it to you. I like to say it this way. Until the Holy Spirit reaches on the inside of you and turns the light on so that you can see, until He does that, you stay in the dark. We need His help. He is the revealer of truth. So we need the Bible, and we need the Holy Spirit. But can I say this? Um, back to John sixteen thirteen? It says, "...however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come..." He will guide you into all truth. If what Jesus really meant was um, the scriptures will guide you into all truth, then he would have said that. The Bible will guide you into all truth. If that's what he meant, then that's what he would have said. That's not what he said. Are you with me? So I asked the question then, what do they believe? What do they really believe? How are they following God? Now, on paper, they will tell you, I'm following the Bible. And it kind of, it kind of sounds good. But I have found that in this group, they tend to fall into one of two categories. There may be others. This is just my observation. And I'm sure my observation is not complete. But what I've seen again and again and again is they tend to fall into one of two categories. There is one camp that simply says man is not capable of being led by God. Now, mind you, we've already seen enough Scripture to know that's, that's not a Scriptural idea. The Bible does not say that on any level. We've already seen verses to the contrary. But there are many who believe that. There's a second group, and this is a very common one. God leads His children through circumstances. Through external things. Are you following me? They tend to have the idea that as I bebop my way through life, when different things happen, that is God trying to push me in a right direction. It's the mindset of, wow, maybe someone gets really sick and then they realize wow I've just been abusing my body I've been burning the candle at both ends I've been staying up late getting up early working too hard I've worn my body out God was probably trying to tell me but I wasn't listening so he had to make me sick to force me to get into bed so that I would slow down and rest and there are people that's what they believe God made them sick to make them do whatever Or God did this circumstance to force them to make a turn and and do this other thing. And they think that's how God leads them. Never mind, they don't come off looking good. (laughs) They weren't listening to begin with, so God had to, you know, slap them around a little bit. But it's inconsistent with Scripture. Um, So many people, a lot of Christians today think that every door that opens is God opening the door. Every door that shuts is God shutting the door. And so they just take the path of least resistance. That is not a scriptural idea. All right? Typically, then, if I can be general, if I can, as I heard one person say, if I can paint with a broad brush, make generalities, they will take all of what I've just said and put it under the umbrella of sovereignty that God is in control of everything. Which, gosh, it it, it sounds right, except that it disagrees with a fair amount of Scripture. But they put it under this umbrella of God is in control of everything. And every detail of my life is... God moving and doing things and then they'll take we sang it in the song this morning it's one of the most misinterpreted verses in the Bible but all things work for my good and so they take it to mean every bad thing in my life is God trying to move me in a good direction which is not what that verse is saying we need to leave that verse in its context but they get this idea that everything is Him what does it need to be to be a scriptural belief? <laughs> we need scripture it's funny I heard one say this one time this is a quote every Christian should realize that God is sovereign and in complete control of all things anyone who thinks that God talks to them is guilty of the glorification of man they are the blind leading the blind that's a direct quote it's interesting because they have some misunderstandings of sovereignty, but they, they throw a, some words of Jesus in there to make it sound spiritual. Who's the one who said blind leading the blind? That was Jesus. That's his phrase. When did he say it? One of the times, and there might be more, but the one I found is in Matthew 15, and he was talking to some Pharisees. And the problem was, the Pharisees had created their own doctrine. They had their own ideas that they had introduced to the people as, this is the way it is, you know, their own traditions. And they had used their traditions to override some scriptures in the law of Moses. And they had made the law of Moses of no effect, because they had made their own rules instead, and Jesus was calling them on it. He said, you've made the word of God of no effect because of your traditions. And then it was to them, he said, you're the blind leading the blind. Blind leaders of the blind. The irony is, that's what this person has done. They have elevated their own opinion above what scripture teaches. And then accused everyone else of being, it's irony. It's irony. I don't know if you see it. It it is like one of the biggest ironies I've seen in a while. (laughs) It's amazing to me. It's amazing. So, I'm being a little, hopefully not obnoxious, but can this be true? Is God really leading us with circumstances? Is our life as a Christian really just one long school of hard knocks? Us bouncing around and being, you know, hit with a bad circumstance every time we make a wrong choice. You know, something bad happens and, bah, better not go that way, you know, and just bouncing through life. What did Romans 8.14 say? We looked at this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Not as many as are led by all the things that happen in your life. By the circumstances. So, is the Holy Spirit leading us with circumstances? I got to looking for some examples, and I'm, I'm thinking... Is it the the Holy Spirit that makes a car crash into another car on the I'm thinking of a specific example. So in this specific example, um, car hits the back end of car, pushes them into the back end of car, which then gets stopped by the fourth car. Was that God that made that happen? I got another example. Um, when maybe someone 's child was playing on the playground at school and they tripped and fell and chipped part of a tooth, now was that God trying to teach someone a lesson? Or how about here? Another example: maybe you 're on vacation, and you 've gone north in the wintertime to go snow skiing. but as you 're cruising down the slope, you hit a patch of ice, and you bounce your noggin off the ice. And about three or four hours of life just kind of fell out on the slope never to return. <laughs> My family is laughing because they know where this story came from. Is that really God? Because we're just not listening so He has to manhandle us and cause these things to happen in our life? Here's another question. Let me call it from another angle. Is God... An intelligent being. That's almost that. I I shouldn't even have to ask that question. Okay, we know the answer to that question. Okay, next question: Are you an intelligent being? Now that might be worth asking. I don't know, but let's let's say yes. We are intelligent beings. Okay. How should two intelligent beings communicate? I'm going to suggest intelligently I haven't gone too far have I you are made in the image and likeness of God you have his DNA in your spirit you have his nature and his likeness no you are not developed to the degree he is but you're in the same family you are his child and you are on your way to that type of an experience of being a whole lot like him what he is, your spiritual father. When I think of him trying to communicate with us, an analogy I use that, that it fits better than I kind of wish it did, or better than I would like, as a parent, have you ever tried to explain truth to a three-year-old? Can it be done? Two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, they're smart. They're little sponges. And they're learning a lot and they're learning fast. And they're capable of a lot. However, to successfully teach them, you've got to step down onto their level. Use words they can understand. Put it in terms that they can grasp. And they can learn a lot when you get on their level. Now, as they grow, it'll get better and better. But you can teach a lot to a young one. I really see our relationship with our Father that way. We're the young one. There's a lot He can teach us, but He has to come down on our level and put it in terms we can understand. Now, as we grow, He can use bigger concepts and bigger spiritual words, as it were. But we've got to kind of understand the situation. It's not that we're not teachable. It's not that we can't communicate intelligently. But you do kind of have to put it on our level. Are you with me? But we can have intelligent communication with our Father. I want to show you a verse. Psalm 32. So we're in the Old Covenant. Psalm 32, verse 8. He says, I will instruct you. And teach you in the way you should go. And I will guide you with my eye. Now this is God speaking to his children. And it's a little King Jamesy, but you you can still see in there, what's he saying? Um, I will instruct you in the way you should go. I will guide you. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you will go. Um, I want to look at the complete Jewish Bible. Same verse, different translation. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in this way that you are to go I will give you counsel my eyes will be watching you so what's he saying I will instruct you and give you the counsel you need in the way that you are to go so that implies before you started that direction you got the direction from him and now you can go that direction because you have the counsel ahead of time not after the fact and then he even throws in and I got my eye on you. Even as you now follow up my, my guidance and you heed my counsel, I'm watching. There's a, a little bit of a comfort in that. Uh, you see what he's saying? Okay. That's all wonderful. That's a picture of what it should be. Now look at the very next verse. Do not be like a horse or like the mule which have no understanding which must be harnessed with bit and bridle else they will not come near you. Now leave that up there for for just a second. He says don't be like this. Now first of all he's telling us (laughs) I could play with words if I wanted to. He's saying don't be a mule. I'm not going to go there. But why is he saying that? What's the context? Back up one verse. What was he just talking about? I will guide you. I will give you counsel so that you know the way to go. Then he says, don't be like a mule. And what aspect of the horse or mule did he point out? They don't understand. And so to to get them to go where you need them to, you've got to put the bridle on their head with the bit in their mouth. And you've got to force them to go where you want them to go. What does he say? Don't be like that. He does not want to put a bit in your mouth and force you to go. See, the the mules have no understanding. The horses have no understanding. Now, I'm thinking, and I'm not a horse, and I know I've got some people in the room who know way more about horses than I do, but when you have a horse who's never been ridden, you're not going to walk up to that horse and have an intelligent conversation and explain to Mr. Horse, okay, here's what we need to do. I'm going to put this saddle on your back and we'll tie it around your belly. I'm going to put these reins on your mouth and I'm going to get on your back and then we're going to kind of trot along and if I need you to turn, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And not one time has the horse ever said, oh, I understand. You just want to ride me and all aboard. Giddy up! You don't do that with a horse. Why? They don't have that understanding. So what must you do to lead a horse? You do it by really dominance. Um, they don't understand your words. They do understand the whip. What do they call that a crop. They do understand the spurs on the back of your boots. And you bring the horse, basically, can I just say, you bring the horse into submission. Here's how it's going to be, Mr. Horse. Don't they use the phrase, you break the horse? I'm not saying they physically hurt it, but they break. what are they breaking? That will. They're bringing that horse into submission. They're forcing the horse to go the right way. And God says to us, don't be like that he does not want that kind of relationship with you and he will not have that kind of relationship with you if you want to be now I'm thinking mule if you want to be stubborn and you go your own way he'll let you but then don't think that all the things that happen in your life are him because they're not he wanted you to go this way but he wants you to follow he is not going to force you Are you seeing that? Okay, same verses. I'm going to another translation. This is the contemporary English version, verse 8. He says, I will point out the road that you should follow. I will be your teacher and watch over you. Don't be stupid like horses and mules that must be led with ropes to make them obey. Now, again, I got to be careful. I'm not calling anyone stupid. I didn't even make that translation. But I'm just saying, get the gist of what he's saying. He says, you could say, don't be without understanding. So then what's he saying? I want you to communicate with me intelligently, understanding what I'm leading you to do so that you can follow of your own free will and choose to follow me. I don't have to force you to follow me. He says, I won't do that. Are you seeing the picture of it? So, kind of back to my examples. Did God have to force me To crash, I believe it was my Buick Regal. I'm not positive. Did he have to force me to crash my car into the car in front of me? To hit the car in front of them? To let the third car in front of me bring us all to a stop? Is it because God was trying to tell me something and I wasn't listening so he wanted to get my attention? No. What was going on? I was distracted. I wasn't listening to anyone. What was I doing? Don't listen, Dad. What was I doing? I had my high school buddy in the passenger seat, and we had a good-looking girl sitting right in the middle between us. And I had bucket seats. She was not sitting on a seat properly wearing a seat belt. She was sitting on an armrest console and should not have been there. And I was not paying attention to the road. I was changing the radio station. I did not need anybody to distract me. I had done a perfectly good job all by myself. And then what happened was due to road construction, the lanes were merging. Everybody was stopping well in front of any traffic light. Someone wasn't paying attention. Boom. Was that God? No, that was a 19-year-old boy being a 19-year-old boy. Was God trying to tell me something? No. No. I would say he was probably trying to tell me something all the way up to that point and I wasn't listening because I was distracted. Hmm. Second example was one of my daughters playing on the playground, tripped and fell, chipped part of a tooth off. Now, is that God trying to tell me something? No. Is that God trying to tell her something? You're not listening, trip. No. He's not like that. That's not his nature. So is he using circumstances to teach me something? No. No. Third example was a family vacation in Wisconsin. And it was too warm of a winter, so they had man-made snow, but even it had melted. And then the temperatures dropped again, so the man-made snow that had melted now froze, and now we have ice on the ski slope. And that was me sliding down the ski slope. In my defense because one of my brothers was behind me and had a front row seat to the whole calamity. He said, he said no, he said that I got going too fast for my skill set, because it got slick. And he said, actually, I did everything I had been trained to do. He said, I was trying to slow down. I was doing the brakes. I was doing everything I had been taught. The way they taught me, I was doing it right. And it wasn't enough. And that ice just took my feet out from under me. I bounced off the slope. I got back up and I kept telling everyone I had a yard sale (laughs) stuff went everywhere. And I told my brother, I said, I think I'm going to walk down. And I picked up all my stuff and I walked the rest of the way down. And as I recall, they said everything was fine for about five or ten minutes when all of my conversations became circular. And I started saying all the exact same things, asking the same questions in about a five-minute loop or something like that if I'm getting that close. And then that's when they figured out, uh-oh, <laughs> something's not right here. And they, they, they put me in a, in a nurse's station on the ski slope for an hour and a half, and I have no recollection of this whatsoever. None. But every five minutes I'd say, did you find my insurance card? It's in my wallet. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> oh okay, bring me back. <laughs> Sorry. And then every five minutes I would say, I live on Green Street. It's a cute little house on Green Street. <laughs> I had that and I'd say the same thing like every few minutes I'm in this loop. From my experience, I remember going to the slope that day. I remember starting down that... I remember from the top of that hill. I don't remember the hill. I don't remember the crash. I don't remember anything else. I don't remember the rest of my time at the ski resort that day. I have a flash of memory on my back on a cold table with a light. And you might think... He had an out-of-body experience. No, I had a CAT scan. <laughs> and I remember that, vaguely. I, I have a little bit of remembrance of that, and then it's gone again. Next thing I remember, I'm in the car. We're going back to the hotel. And from that point forward, I, I remember. And they wouldn't let me drive. I don't know why. <laughs> and then I got back to the room, and the only thing that was unsettling was, this was the room I had slept in the night before. But I couldn't remember which bed was mine. I didn't know where I'd slept. That was weird. To this day, that's just a blank in my memory. It never came back. You know, now was that God trying to tell me something? No. Although I will say, if I ever ski again, which I have not, and not because I'm afraid, we just I don't get north all that often, but I will wear a helmet. <laughs> on that day I would have said nah I don't need a helmet I was too young and macho today strap me up I'm the guy that if we go roller skating or rollerblading, put on the wrist guards maybe some knee pads you know cause I've been there <laughs> Sorry. but it, all of that does that kind of stuff happen in life yes is that God no most of the time he is trying to warn us we don't listen I was not listening You know, he doesn't speak to us through circumstances and external things. Can I say something that in some circles would start a heated argument? But I'm going to say it anyway because I see it in Scripture. God is not in control of everything. He's the creator of everything, but he's not in control of everything. What's one of the first things he did? I'm going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. He created a planet. He filled it with life. He put man and woman on that planet, and then what did he do? Gave them dominion. He put them in charge. Now, he did not give them ownership. I believe a more accurate term would be lease. But he put them on the planet as managers. A biblical word would be stewards. He is not in charge of everything. He's not controlling everything. (laughs) And he wasn't in all of my cases that I just talked about. All right. Uh, The apostle John says says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. See, there's a devil in this world. And he's doing a lot of stuff. He does a lot of stuff to mess with our life. Let me say that again. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. New Living Translation says the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And contrary to the opinion of some, God and the devil are not partners. They are not working together to a mutually agreed upon end. On the contrary, and God is not controlling the devil like a puppet with strings if God were controlling the devil, um, he would still be an archangel in heaven leading worship for all of heaven, and a third of the angels would all still be there, and they would all still be on their original post, and he would not have been in the garden that day with Adam and Eve, and everything would look very different right now if God were controlling the devil. That is not the case. And we need to understand that. If you're going to be led by external things, I promise you at some point you will be misled because it's not just God controlling all of your external things. And you will get tripped up. Scripture says, don't be like the horse. Don't be without understanding. Don't have to be manipulated with bits and bridles. Ephesians 5.17 says, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What's one thing that tells us? we can it should not be a mystery to us if there's something about God's will we don't know then find out start asking him start seeking him start doing our due diligence to seek him but if we don't know this will what's that verse saying? then we're not wise there are all kinds of times we don't know his will but then what do we do find out again I'm, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to start arguments with anyone but there are a whole lot of Christians who don't believe you can know his will and you hear it in their prayers because what do they put in almost every prayer they pray if it be thy will what's that telling us they don't know his will If they knew his will, they wouldn't say, if it be thy will. So they're admitting, I don't know his will. And so then what are they also admitting? They're not wise. I'm not trying to, you see what I'm... (laughs) I'm not trying to pick on anyone. But they're living in this path of just letting circumstances control everything that God's just manipulated everything and I call it a, a spiritual case sera, sera. that whatever will be will be because God's controlling everything and they bounce through life not realizing that he's not the only one doing things in their life are you with me? I don't want to teach on prayer but I kind of left that open there are all kinds of times we don't know his will so when you don't know his will what do you do? You pray the prayer of consecration and find out His will. And then when you know His will because you've got the answer, now you can approach Him again in prayer, but you can pray His will right off the top. don't have to say if it be thy will. you figured out what that was. And now you can pray with confidence that John talks about. Chapter 5, 1 John 5, you can pray with confidence. Why? Because you figured out what His will is. You know what He wants. Now we're praying His will into the earth like Jesus told us to. Are you with me? Okay, I'm not trying to teach on that this morning, but that's what it's supposed to look like. He does not lead us with circumstances. As I try to close this this morning, let me circle back. What do we need for all of our beliefs to be scriptural? We need scripture. So we need to found this solidly. So here's a little bit of a broad brush. If we were to go back to the beginning, the book of Genesis, the Hebrew word is Bereshit. If we went back to Genesis and started looking, what's the pattern we see in scripture? It starts in the garden. Um, God said to Adam. He spoke with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the garden. His relationship was not bitten bridle. It was conversational. Okay, fast forward just 12 chapters and about 1,200 years, I think, we get to Abraham. What was their relationship like? God spoke with him. There were times angels came down or the angel of the Lord came down talked with him walked with him but it was not a bit and bridle thing Uh, go a little further how about if we go about 2,000 years and we get to Moses did Moses ever have conversations with God are you kidding me he's the one that went up on the mountain for 40 days rabbis believe he actually left the mountain and went to heaven That's, that's that's a rabbi belief He had conversations with God. Go another generation. How about Joshua? We could keep going. How about Elijah? How about David? How about Isaiah? How about Daniel? Are you with me? The picture of a relationship with God in the Old Testament is conversational. God spoke with them. Are you with me? Now let me give you then a New Testament verse to solidify everything I just said right there, Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. The picture of our relationship with God to the entire Old Covenant is God spoke to the prophets and He spoke through the prophets. Now, almost everyone I named there was either a prophet or stepped into the office occasionally. Fair enough. But he spoke. He spoke to the prophets. He spoke through the prophets. He let his children know ahead of time. Here's what. A lot of times those circumstances, he told them ahead of time, here's what's coming. But he's the God who tells you the end from the beginning. He lets you know things to come. He's done it since the beginning. Now, a lot of times in their case, it was... Now, if you'll obey me in this and do what I say, here's all the good things that'll happen in your life. If you do not follow me and you go your own way, here's all the bad things that will happen. There was a lot of that. But it was always ahead of time. It was never after the fact. When the bad things happened, they should have already known why the bad things were happening. Uh, they weren't following. But that's the picture we see again and again and again. In the Old Covenant, God is a God who speaks. And He has from the beginning. He did not use circumstances. He spoke. So what changed? Are we suddenly now, and I'm being a little facetious, are we suddenly now living in the New Covenant where He's quit talking, but He uses circumstances to push us in different directions? Is that a better covenant? Aren't we in a better covenant? It's a Hebrews 8.6. six says, Now Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as He is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Our walk with God under the new covenant is by definition supposed to be better than their walk of God under the old covenant. And in the old covenant, He spoke to them through the prophets. So, our experience is to be better. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. In verse 1, God spoke through the prophets. In verse 2, He has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the worlds. Now, just real quick, we're in the last days. The last days are the period of time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Um, And this is actually a a Jewish teaching. We didn't come up with this. The rabbis did. It's a prophetic cycle. But Peter announced it on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. He got up and said, this is what the prophet Joel was talking about. And he basically announced, last days have just begun. Now, we today are in what I would call the last of the last days. Because we're almost... The last days, You could I could say it this way, it's the church age. It's the age of grace. It's the dispensation we're living in between His first coming and His second coming. Those are the last days. So in the last days, the days we're living in, the New Testament age, how does He speak to us? By His Son. Okay? So we've got Scripture. Today He speaks to us by His Son. Now what does that look like? Here's what we got to nail down so we can put a bow on this and then call it done for today. What's that look like to say that Jesus speaks to us today? Because now, back to that, that other camp of Christians, um, they say that Jesus speaks to you through the written Word and the written Word only. Um, Remember my quote? I'm going to read it again. He says, The only trustworthy source of divine truth, guidance for your own spiritual growth, and instruction for the church is the written Word of God. Does God still speak? Yes. He speaks through the pages of Scripture. Now let me continue. He goes on to say, We don't have the capacity to... To comprehend how God is moving in our lives until after He has already moved. And even then, we can't appreciate the full magnitude of His supernatural work. End quote. This is a nationally known speaker, he has a way bigger platform than me. What's he saying? Can I paraphrase? We're just mules. We're not capable of realizing what he's up to until after he's already done it. And even then, yeah, still probably not. We just can't even really appreciate what a God that big is doing. We're not capable. We're we're just mules. That's really what he's saying. And millions of Christians today agree with him. If you can sense the tone, I do not. (laughs) Really? No. Let's go back to it. Hebrews 1 verse 2. God has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. We are in the last days. So how did Jesus tell us as we transitioned into the last days? What did Jesus Himself say to prepare us for operating in the last days? Back to John sixteen 13. We've already read this. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Now, for the disciples in that moment, this caught their attention because this was a change. They were still living in the first covenant and God spoke to them by the prophets. Jesus stood in that role for them. He stood in the office of prophet for his entire ministry. And he fulfilled that role, that old covenant position for them. But it was beginning to change. We're about to cross into the last days which began on the day of Pentecost. And he's warning them, change coming. Change coming. Not saying the prophet went away. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us we still have prophets in the church today. Not saying that. But their job description has changed. Under the Old Covenant, you would go to the prophet to get the word of the Lord. What happens under the New Covenant? He said, when He, the Spirit of Truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. Who's He speaking to? You. Me. God is a God who... Speaks. He speaks to you and he'll tell you things to come. Now he says, he's not speaking of his own self. What did he say about the Holy Spirit? Whatever he hears, he will speak. Who's he listening to? Jesus. And whatever he hears Jesus say, he says to you. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you is the voice of Jesus for you. Whatever he hears, he says to you. Uh, Acts chapter 16 refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. Now, yes, that has been a problem verse for a lot of theologians over the years. and untold, unnecessary hours have been fought over that verse. Some have tried to take that to uh, say that they're really the one and the same person and they've tried to dismantle the Trinity with that verse. Don't, Don't waste time with that. That's not what that verse is saying. He's the Spirit of Jesus. In the same way that Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said that, right? on that same night to the disciples he said if you've seen me you've seen the Father we're one and people have said that to try and say that really Jesus is God there is no Trinity they're just one It's not what he's saying what's he saying we are walking so in harmony with each other that if you've seen one you've seen the other we are walking in unison same principle, the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is walking so in step and in unison with Jesus that when you hear the Holy Spirit speak to you, you're hearing Jesus. And he explained why he's repeating to you what he's hearing. He is the Spirit of Jesus in you, and he said that he will take what is Jesus's and declare it to you. Are you with me? He is the God who speaks. It's not a matter of is God speaking? The more important question that we'll need to dig into in the future, are we listening? He is speaking. Are we listening? I'll go back to my next I'll close with a verse just because I want to, Romans 8:14: "For as many as are led by your Bible." That's not what He said. I'm not discounting the Bible. It is your safety net. You need to know your Bible. The better you know the Bible, the better you will be at recognizing His voice because they will speak the same. You will never hear the Holy Spirit say something that disagrees with the written word. It is your safety net. But what did He say? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And if we go to the New Testament, which I think we will, just as I kind of briefly did the Old Testament, we can go to the New Testament. A picture of the church, the New Testament church that we're still living in today. And we can see example after example after example of a God who speaks and they follow. Amen? Amen.